if you have your Bible, if you would do me a favor and turn with me, we'll be in the book of 1 John today in chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. Uh, if you're not sure where that is, the easiest place is to go to Revelation and, and start turning one page at a time, and you'll get there really quickly. The second easiest way to get there is to pull out your phone and on your app, click 1 John. That's the other quick way to get there. We'll be in 1 John chapter 3, we'll be in verse 11, um, all the way through verse 18 this morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper uh, during our service today. And, and to do that, I want our heart to be prepared for it. As, as I've been reading through uh, this, the Bible, and if you're with me in our reading, and you were in 1 John this week, and we're coming close to Revelations, we'll be going through parts of Revelations as we journey through uh, our Christmas story over the next month. I, I pray that what the Lord is doing as you're reading is bringing to mind scriptures that you read earlier in the week or earlier in the month or earlier in the year. And my prayer is that those things are just continually rising to the top um, because those are fruitful for understanding the consistency of God. I was reading about um, just consistency and, and uh, actually was was looking at Coca-Cola and was thinking, you know, Coca-Cola is the same formula at the beginning as it is today. And then I look up an article that said in 2018 they changed the sugar content of it just a little bit. So Coca-Cola apparently is healthy now. It's not healthy. But it's less bad, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure how that works. So that's coming out. So I, I started thinking of Thanksgiving and, and Christmas time. And a tradition at my house is is baking and sweets. Is it, do any of you have that tradition at your house that sweets are, are, are like a Christmas pairing? For our house, if a sweet is good, it has chocolate on it. Is that true at your house too? Christy makes some toffee crackers. I'm not sure what it is except for crackers, butter, and sugar. It's just great. And on my section, she doesn't put a lot of chocolate on it because I'm not as much of a chocolate per part person. And she calls that the bad section. So she has the rest covered in chocolate. It's good. So in honor of my wife, I started looking back at just some of the oldest companies in America. And believe it or not, what, what may be the second oldest company in America is a company that was called Baker's Chocolate. Now, ladies, have you ever used some Baker's Chocolate? Yeah, Baker's Chocolate. Believe it or not, it was started off from a, an, a doctor who went to Harvard. Now it's healthy. Do you see that? A doctor who went to Harvard and an Irishman came together and they started making chocolate together back in 1765. It's when Baker's chocolate started. And in 1780, under the company named Baker's, was the first time this unsweetened Baker's chocolate was sold. And what's amazing is here we are, 200 plus years away from that. Before we. Before we were a free country, we had Baker's chocolate, right? Kind of thinking through that as it came into play. When it's first started, it's been consistent ever since the beginning. Now, there's, there's some trustworthiness, right? If you're a baker in this room, I bet you have certain types of chocolate you swear by. Now, your husband goes to the store, you say, I'm picking, pick up the Baker's chocolate, if that's who you are, right? If he comes back with like store brand chocolate for baking what does he have to do he has to go back 
You know, and then you have a conversation of what Baker's chocolate means. He doesn't understand it was a brand. You got because there's a trustworthy. I know how it's going to respond. I know how it's going to act. I know how it's going to make things taste. If you bring uh, an alternative in, I, I don't trust it as much. And, and and this is the beauty of Scripture. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper today, what I want you to know is First John chapter three verse eleven starts off. Reminding us of the authenticity of the message we're going to talk about. So if you have your Bible, look with me. We'll read verse 11 all the way through verse 18, and then we'll catch up with it. It says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And, and you know that. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. And, and, and John gives us this great, beautiful picture of love. In, in really its pure form, this from the beginning form. And, and if you don't know a whole lot about John the Apostle, John lived during the life of Christ. He, he ate at his table. He broke bread with him. He followed him all the way through. And, and he lived, we, we know, until the, the 90s of, of A.D. And so, so he got to see not just the church grow, but he got to see the beginning of the church persecuted. When, when John wrote this letter, would have just been right around the time when Rome and the church, the Christian church, and the Jewish culture were all at this crossroads of hate and destruction. And in, during the time, just before this letter was written, it, most likely one of the most incredible events when the Jews were fleeing the Romans, many of them, and went to a place called Masada, and they saw that the Romans were coming in. This mass suicide happened among the Jews. It marked this, this culture still to this day. It, it, during this time, James has been killed. Paul is in prison. And, and John writes this letter. And, and the context of this letter, you might say, what, what was it written for? I wonder if we can figure it out. What I love about John, I love about it in the Gospel of John and in First and Second, I love what John does. He doesn't leave anything to chance. He wants us to know that we know that we know. And so there are four things in this book that John says, this is why I'm writing this. The first one he just says in, in verse chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I'm writing this to you, brothers, to believers— so that your joy may be complete. In other words, I don't want you to be lose, a joy loser, so to speak. I don't want you to think that your joy is found in the wrong place. I'm writing you so that your joy may be completely full. You might not think it needs anything else. This is, this is why I'm writing you. In chapter 2, he starts off and he says, Now I'm writing you also to help you keep from stumbling. I, I don't want you to sin. 
I, I want your joy to be complete, and I don't want you to find yourself in sin. And later on in verse chapter 2, verse 26, he says, I'm writing you this to keep you from being deceived. So if your joy is going to be complete, then I want to keep you from stumbling, and I don't want you to be deceived by people that might come teaching or preaching something other than the true gospel. And then finally in chapter 5, he says, I'm writing you so that you may have assurance of things to come. So that as a believer, you might have assurance in your place in eternity. You see, this is the framing of John's conversation on love. First of all, it's to the bride of Christ. It's to the church. He says, I want you to know, church, as you read this letter, the, the church didn't have a hub like we have. It was spread out, not all over just the city of Ephesus, but all over. It was people clumping together. So I want you to know, church, that you have a joy that should be full all the time. And I don't want you to trip and spill some of that joy out in your sin. And I don't want you to be deceived in thinking that you should fill anything else in your cup other than the gospel. And through all of this, no matter what you see around you, no matter what destruction you have coming around you, no matter how difficult the world seems to be coming at you, no matter how hard times get, brothers, I want you to be sure of what eternity holds for you. And so he writes in this letter, chapter 3, verse 11, he says this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You see, John stop, talks in this story, painting this picture of this central truth that brothers and sisters, in Christ, our life must be marked by love for one another. This is from the beginning and, and I was reading, is what does it mean from the beginning? Is this from the beginning of Acts? Well, you can see it in Acts, in the birth of the early church, that they loved one another so much that they shared everything in common. They loved one another so much they broke bread together all the time. They loved each other so much they studied the Word together. Or we could go back even further. We could say, and look at what Christ says. What are the greatest commandments? Oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. We can go back then to the Old Testament. And we can see all the way to the beginning that God is calling His people to love one another. It, it doesn't even make sense. Heaven makes no sense without love for God's people. Note to self. We're all who claim and are bathed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We will all be in eternity together. And so love must mark us. John says, this has been the way it has been since the beginning. Why would he even have to really reiterate that? I just wonder in John's time if it was anything like ours. If his people came together to prepare for remembering what the Lord has done for us, if quite possibly opinions and preferences got in the way, if, if maybe valuing our place and position at work, maybe valuing our thoughts and preferences, that they kind of pushed out love. I wonder if love started looking like, I'll love you as long as you look like me. Or I'll, 
I'll, I'll love you as long as it's convenient for me. John says, Christian, brother and sister in Christ, the central marker of the life of one born again is the love for God's people. Check this out. Why? Why would I want to share the gospel with someone if I didn't love them? Why would I encourage someone if I didn't love them? Why would I, as a parent, passionately want my children to know Jesus if I didn't want to share my love with them for all eternity? The gospel is grounded on love, but not some cheap, false, fake love, but on the love of God. Look in your Bible. It says a little bit further. He says, I want you to see the evidence of a life love. A love that is born in and of true life. The Bible says this in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. He says, first of all, here's what I want you to know. If you want to know a true God-centered gospel love versus this cheap love of the world, you can look at Cain. He says, when we look at Cain, we see a, a love of self over God's people. We, we see a love of passion over God's purpose. It's this dead life love, a love that is departed from the truth. If you don't know the story of Cain and Abel, it, it, it's in Genesis, and it, it goes very short and clean. Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, and Abel was his younger brother. And, and Cable's, Abel's offerings were accepted by God, and Cain's, because of his heart, were not accepted by God. In his jealousy of his brother, Cain murdered him so that his righteousness or his acts would no longer be a part of his story and so that Cain could enjoy his life. And in that act, God confronted him and cursed him and condemned him. Why would he do so? Jude, verse 11, gives us a picture. Listen to what Jude says. It says, Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. You see, there's such a thing as a life-despising love. This is, this is one of the, the heresies that sneak into the church. This is one of the, the false teachings that the world preaches in and makes its way in, is that love takes on many forms. It takes on many fashions. Love is defined by the one who is giving it. This is what the Bible says. It says, when you and I have this life-loathing love, this life-despising love that doesn't elevate others, but elevates our desire, our love, our definition of love, above all else, we're actually abandoning ourselves. You see, as a Christian church, 
when and if a hatred for someone else sneaks into your life, the reality is we're saying, I, I don't want you in my presence because I want more of what I want around me. With a brother and sister in Christ, we are not called to hate them, to condemn, to push away. We are called to go, to restore. Even when they're in sin, we're called to pursue them, to show them righteousness. We're called to love them so much that we don't compromise the gospel for our peace with someone. That's life despising. If I want peace with you more than I want eternity for you, that is like hating you. You understand that? When you and I want an agreement so that we can prosper together for the good of our families more than I care about you knowing the truth of the life-giving love of Jesus Christ, then as a Christian, I am hating you. When you are in sin as a husband, and I turn a blind eye, because I appreciate our friendship so much. Instead of sharing the truth with you, I'm not loving you. I'm despising your life because for my own selfish gain, I keep your secrets. For my own selfish gains, I keep the peace. For my own selfish gain, I compromise our morals. I devalue the cross church that is not love if if in this world you are despised and hated for loving people then you bear the stripes of Christ wouldn't that be such a beautiful thing to be known for for loving you too much to let you find your end and destruction without knowing how much I care for you, how much God loves you. See, look a little bit further in verse 14 and 15. It says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life. This isn't just for others, it's for us. That what, what John says is this, that you and I have passed out of death into life through Christ. You and I, the word passed means departed. You and I have left the station of death. We have departed a life in bondage to death. And in that departing, that you and I, one of the markers is that we love what has been set before us by God more than we desire the gain of the flesh that is behind us. That, that's what the scripture means. A mark of you and I departing the station of death is that we love life so much we're no longer willing to be bound in death when Christ has offered us life. Paul says, but, but excuse me, John says, but listen. Whoever does not love, whoever holds on to that grudge against his brother and just wishes they would die, whoever holds on to that, that, that hate against their sister and just wishes they would go away, then you abide in death. In other words, the train is right there, and you're choosing to remain in death. 
because death despises life. And so church, what scripture shows us is that you and I need to depart death, not the truth. That is love. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. Verse 16. By this we know love. Again, I just want to pause. John wants to make it clear. He wants to make it evident. He wants to make it obvious. Do you want to know what love is? Do you want to know it when you see it so that you're not deceived by false teachers? One of John's purposes in writing the book. Do you want to know what love, real love, looks like? He wants you to know so that you don't stumble over sin seeking a worldly death-filled love. Do you want to know what love feels like? I write this so that your joy may be complete. Do you want to know what the love of God is for your whole life? I write this so you may have assurance for all eternity. By this we know love. The Bible says this, that he laid down his life for us. They laid down his life for us. If you want to know what love is, look to Jesus. He he sacrificed. He laid it down. The word laid doesn't mean he was forced to. The word laid doesn't mean he was bullied into it by the Father. The word laid means self-sacrificing. Jesus laid it down for the purpose of life. Do you want to know what love is? It's laying your burden at his feet and taking his yoke upon you. If you want to know what his what love is like, it's it's dying to yourself and taking up the cross and following him. If you want to know what love is like, greater love hath no man than this. What? He lays it down. He lays it down. Church, self-love that leads to death is about picking it up. It's about protecting what is mine. What Jesus shows us is that a godly love, true love, the love of life that marks a believer is a love that lays it down before Jesus and before the world. He says, and we ought to do the same. We ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. Now, this is the interesting part. Because the Bible says before we come and, and take the Lord's Supper, before we come to the altar, we need to make sure there's no offenses in our heart. This morning, I want you to know that you know that you know that a marker of Christ's freedom in your life is this abundant life of love. Sacrifice laid down. It's not stingy. It's not protective. It's sacrificial. So we're about to take the Lord's Supper here. And during the Lord's Supper, we're going to keep talking through Scripture. But I want to pause here, but before we go any further, I want your heart to be ready. Are you living as a believer marked unmistakably by love? Love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what, I, I just, I wrote this down. This is going to sound really strange. 
But you know what's starting to break my heart a little bit? That it, it seems like there's a, a, a movement that's a little awkward in the church. That we, as the church, should be more mindful of the world than we are one another. Let me tell you, you and I need to tell everyone about Jesus. But if you tell the world about Jesus and you hate the bride of Christ, then you have not departed truth. You have not departed death and you are not abiding in life. We must be known by our love for one another. If we don't, as we read today, we malign the way of truth. So as we have our time of invitation, it won't be one of moving. It's be one of preparing. And so would you just bow with me? And we're going to sing our song of invitation. We're going to pray together. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Father God, Lord, this morning, you, you make it clear so that we know that we know that we know a marker that will exist in the life of one who has departed death and passed on to life is a love for his brothers and his sisters in Christ, a love for your people. Lord, you, you tell us through John that the one who says, I love the Lord but hates his brother, they're lying. They're lying. Father God, in this room, Lord, we know that trials come our way. We know that difficulty comes our way. Father God, I pray that in our time of response, you might bend our hearts towards you, that you may give us a passionate desire to tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ, but it may start in its epicenter of encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ so that their joy may be complete, so that they will not stumble in sin, so that they will not be deceived by the shifty teachings of, of the world, and so that we may have assurance of eternal life. And we may constantly assure one another and encourage one another of it. Father God, would you prepare our hearts for you? In Jesus' name.